Hi, I'm Lawrence Cornfield with the Department of Building Inspection. We'd like to welcome you to our brown bag lunch uh, talk today. We do this every third Thursday in San Francisco, and today we are at E and E Electric, 1775 Mission Street, uh, right by the Building Department office, where we are going to walk around and look at all this fantastic equipment, shiny, wonderful stuff, complicated stuff. What could this possibly be used for? Threaded uh, pipe. Um, we have with us today uh, David Green, Senior Electrical Inspector, who is a good friend of mine and a well-known sailor on San Francisco Bay. Thank right? you. You're going to sail yes. this Saturday, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And Mr. Loy and Mrs. Loy. Mr. Loy and Mrs. Loy own e, e Electric. And thanks for letting us come in here, Mr. Loy. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. And you're an electrical contractor too, right, Mr. Loy? I'm electrical for Loy Electric for 36 years. So for Lakiko only, we do a lot of big projects. And uh, for a government job like um, school project uh -huh. and uh, fire station, hospital, and also I do a lot of industrial and commercial and residential. So let me ask you, uh, you have to get a California special license. You have to be a special licensee to do yeah. electrical. What is that license? Yeah, I have the C-10 license. C-10, okay. C-10 license and B license. B is a general contractor's general license. license yeah. Okay. So, yeah. But more uh, interesting for me, I do a lot of C-10 license uh -huh. you know, for electrical. And about, yeah. what, three or four years ago, you opened up a, a supply house, uh, a wholesale supply house. Look like we opened the in the electrical. For now, for seven, around How many years? five years. Five years. You don't have so many guys out in the field anymore, I guess. Oh, no more. You're we <laughs> too busy for e, e right now. Different, so different business. Just, I had just helped a lot of contractors when they come in for a lot of questions about the national code. So if I understand, I tell them whatever I know, knowledge, my knowledge. Yeah. yeah. I think it's actually terrific that the person selling the equipment is somebody who is trained and experienced and been working in the field for so many years. Yeah, the, um, I try to do my best. If I know, I know, I tell them. And you can so, always call David. Yeah, you know, whatever, if I don't understand, I have need, to call David, me to David. David's yeah. got the yeah. answers to all that. So yeah, what we're going to do is yeah. uh, walk around the uh, e, e supply. Yeah. Um, and I think what we want to do is start at the area where power Electricity comes into the building. How does it get into the building, and what are the pieces you need to make that happen? And then we'll walk uh, walk us through the building and how you might uh, construct a building with all the electrical uh, fixtures and fittings and devices. And uh, it's all here. So let's walk out to the front where we have all the uh, all the pipes and so on that should bring the power into the building. Look at all this stuff. An acorn clamp. Offset gutter connector. Offset gutter <laughs> connector. <laughs> Unbelievable the right. number of things. Right. We EMT here. connector. Yeah. Okay, so here we are at a place where we have all these big pipes. So uh, let's walk over here. David, come with me here, David. All right. What are we looking at here? What's going on? This is a rigid metal conduit made out of aluminum. It's lightweight, and that's well, the advantage. That that's the advantage. It's used for a, okay. a service conduit to take up the power from PG&E. To, uh, down to the meter. Okay, so we're on the outside of a building sometimes you'll have the wires coming over from PG&E. That's called the they, service drop. The service drop, and I have right here, I brought something called a... a Weatherhead. We Weatherhead, here it is. So at the top of the pipe you have the weather head and the uh, PG&E conductors come into the service drop. Okay, look at the front of the weatherhead. You see these little knockouts here. You knock it out and you run your run service the, conductors 
And the conductors go down the pipe. Go down the pipe. Now, in San Francisco, we have special requirements for service entrance uh, equipment because of the corrosive marine environment, right? That's correct. So what, what are some of our special local requirements? Well, I mean, you, we require the uh, conduit to either be aluminum rigid metal conduit or back there, a galvanized steel uh, conduit. Uh -huh. uh, both of them, uh, because they're galvanized or aluminum, they are resistant to corrosion and they do last longer. Okay. PG&E also has a rule, uh, inch and a quarter uh, minimum, uh, if they're going to attach the service drop to the conduit. So because of that, the standard minimum size is inch and a quarter. Inch and a quarter, okay. And that's yeah. typically necessary for every any home, inch and a quarter. In San Francisco, yes. Um, I know everybody is always saying that they want to have enough power to run all of their modern household stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, how much power typically does it take to run a household? In, well, the, uh, in, in our the code minimum for a single-family residence is 100 amps. And uh, in, unless you're using uh, high-power electrical appliances, that is more than adequate for uh, even up to a, a, a medium size or even a large house. It's when you start using uh, electric cooking, electric heating, jacuzzi, steam, mm -hmm. steam units, and you really get up into a high-use equipment, then your service has to increase to 125, 150, right. or 200, as the case may be, or even... And so you might have to step up to a bigger conduit and all the bigger... Uh, as the service size gets bigger, the conduit gets bigger. Okay. And so what is this gigantic uh, piece of equipment, Mr. Lloyd? So this machine here, you for the machine to cut what happens rigid galvanized up to four inch. Up to four inches you can cut yeah, it. Cut and thread. And thread it as thread well. It okay. So that yeah. you can take the solid pipe, cut yeah. it, thread it to fit it yeah. exactly. Yeah. Okay. An example of a uh, nipple. Yeah. There we you go. Take the ten foot yeah, piece, you cut it you cut inch. it shorter and thread it. We can cut and thread it. Yeah. Okay, that's two inches there. Yeah, right? two inches. This one yeah. for two inches. And you'd have a much bigger uh bigger weather head. Silver head for two inches. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Really good. And then here we have over here, plastic. What do you use plastic for as uh, when you bring power into a building, David? What, what well, that's not have? plastic. That's non-metallic rigid conduit. Excuse me. <laughs> non-metallic. It's not plastic, but it's not metal. What yeah. is it? It's made out of PVC, and it's suitable for use underground for services and feeders okay. and for pulling conductors in under the ground. That's okay. What, that's and I know in my neighborhood, in the inner sunset, we just had all of our utilities undergrounded. Mm -hmm. So what used to have a... Yeah, you know, one of these overhead, overhead conductor uh, service entrances is now underground, and that would have been the stuff that they uh, switched it to. So that, that's, that's the cost-effective method. Okay, excellent. When you put in a service, you also have to ground it, and uh, you connect it to the cold water pipe, and you have to run supplementary ground rods. Here. This is a dip, typical uh, ground rod. It's, uh, it's actually sheathed in copper. It's actually a steel ground rod with a uh, copper coating. And you have to drive it into the ground so that eight feet is in contact with the earth. That's and then you connect one to the service. of the allowed methods of grounding. Is that uh, correct? Uh, uh, for a single-family residence that typically only ha is made out of wood and only has uh, uh, one water pipe, you are required to supplement that water pipe with the ground rods. Okay. How about if you use a Eufer ground or some of these if, other methods? If you have what's called a concrete encased electrode, if you're pouring a, a footing and you have the opportunity to put the wire in the footing, then you do not need the ground right. rods. So actually the code has, and you, you know, has a number of different ways you can provide grounding to a building. This is one, this is probably the most common method, except for new buildings where they actually bury the copper ground uh, into the footing, into the concrete footing, 
and attach it to the steel reinforcing bar. This is one of the most common ways. But there are a lot of different ways that you can solve these problems. And the codes, not just the electrical code, but all the codes give us different ways to, to deal with problem uh, solving. So this is a very common way. And then somehow we have to figure out how to connect this to the house so that everything is grounded in the house so you don't get a shock when you touch stuff. Lawrence, here we have an example of a, a small uh, residential service combination meter socket and a disconnect where you would put a 100 or 125 amp circuit breaker in here. The inch and a quarter pipe comes down on the top. Typically this is mounted outside and you put the meter in close. Okay, let's look down inside it here. So the power is coming down in the top and it goes down. It go, well, it goes down and down. it terminates and lugs at the top. The PG&E puts the meter in here and coming out of the bottom, you take the wires out of the bottom. And they go to the and, disconnect and they here, go to the disconnect. which we will see in a minute elsewhere. And then what's this hole for over here? I don't know. This is where the power is coming out. Where does it come out it of? It could this come box? out or you could seal it. You could come out or you could seal it. And by the way, the, the code requires that any unused holes get sealed. You can't have empty holes or you have mice and stuff living inside your electrical equipment. Okay. So this is for a typical house. This is a 125 amp max. My guess would be 125 amp maximum. Okay. And this one is what we see for a big operation like a restaurant or a commercial space or even a multiple uh, apartment building. So here we have a, a six gang meter socket array and here's the service disconnect for that. Let me open this. Here, hold that there. And here's where the power comes in, and here, wham, you can disconnect or connect the power, 400 amp power, and the, the power would come from here over into our six gang meter, uh, what do you call this thing? I always call it a six gang uh, meter enclosure. Six and gang meter enclosure. Uh, for example, it might be suitable for uh, five residential units and one house panel board. It would be the typical use for this piece of equipment. Now there's an interesting thing happening in the state of California right now looking at six meters. Many buildings have one meter and yet for energy efficiency and for billing purposes it helps to separate out the meters so that you know how much each space is using. And there's been a big issue for many years about the so-called sub-metering. And we're going to see in a little while uh, some new sub-metering equipment. But this is a method which is very cost efficient because it allows each person to get their own bill. And when you get your own bill, you know you want to keep your bill low. Whereas if the uh, rental unit, say, came with power and you don't pay a separate electrical bill, um, you may not be quite as uh, careful about the use of power. I believe uh, the current uh, Public Utilities Commission code does require all individual uh, residential units to be individually metered. That's for all new work. And for commercial, they now allow separate submetering. And for a long time, it was not actually uh, allowed to be used that way in California. Okay, now we're going. To, so we brought the power into the building, and we're watching our fingers here. And we'll, so now we'll see some other ways that we set meters, and we'll look at some of the other equipment once you bring the power into the building. Lawrence, here we have examples of uh, a wide variety of metering and service equipment that can that, that can be chosen. And the reason I wanted to show you this is to show you this new right-angled meter socket that can now be used in San Francisco to allow the panel board to face the user in the garage and allow the meter reader to see it. Excellent, excellent. So, Why didn't somebody think of that before, I wonder? Well, I have no idea, really, but there it, it is. There so it is. little ideas that come to you in the middle of the night. My God, a right-angled meter socket. So one of the things that uh, David said is it's allowed to be used in San Francisco. There's a really big... Um, 
piece of this whole puzzle about what equipment can be used, uh, which is what is allowed and who decides what's allowed. So there are three stages to figuring out what is allowed. The first stage is something called uh, testing, where somebody tests a piece of equipment to see if it meets some standard test uh, requirements, ASTM or some other standard test requirements. Then there's something called listing, the second part, where some listing agency, and the federal government approves listing agencies, uh, has looked at all the test results and then issues a report that says if this piece of equipment, whatever it is, like this wonderful new connector, is coupling. used, coupling, excuse me, coupling, is used in accordance with the following specific requirements, it will meet the requirements of the following. In other words, the listing says if you do it the right way, we can assure you that this will meet some, some standards, right? Is that more or less correct. correct? Okay, and then the third part of that, so we have testing, then we have listing, and the third part is approval. And approval is something that's done at the local level here at the city of San Francisco. We typically approve a listed product, like this coupling. Um, occasionally we have somebody come forward with a product saying, look, I've got the listing, and we say, that's great, it's a listed product, but we don't allow you to use it here in San Francisco. Either the local law doesn't allow that kind of product or that kind of uh, material, or we don't think it's safe. And I could give you some examples of that, but basically 99% of the time we approve a, a listed product which has been tested, listed, and then approved by David or me, or basically on behalf of the director of the Department of Building Inspection. Is that pretty good? That's stuff? it. That's right. it. Okay. And David spends a lot of his time looking at listed uh, listings, yes. right, listed products. Uh, what is this Reviewing appeals. Anyway? Tell us what this thing is. Uh, well, this is a coupling for electrical metallic tubing. It's quite it's four inch. It's quite a large one. But the uh, neat thing about this one is that it has a waterproof seal on the inside and it's identified for use uh, subject to the rain. It does not leak. And this is a new advance in the industry. Previously, these fittings all leaked and caused problems and now they're coming out with products that don't leak. And does the code require that they be waterproof? Uh, the code uh, it does require that all of these fittings that are installed outside subject to the rain be uh, rainproof. And uh, un unfortunately, in the past, they weren't all rainproof. And now the industry is gradually uh, responding and providing rainproof products. Okay, so you say rainproof. Actually, my recollection is that we have dampproof and waterproof, right? Well, dampproof <laughs> and waterproof. What is rainproof? Equipment, yes, can be suitable for use in a dry location, be suitable for use in a damp location, right. or be or suitable for use in a wet, wet location. location. Okay. But uh, the reason I say rainproof is because the product standard uh, and the code require that the fittings for, for electrical metallic tubing be, be capable of staying dry when they're subject to a spray of rain, and that's why I say I see. rainproof. Okay, I got it. So it's and not therefore just suitable for use in a wet location. Wet location is what we were looking for here. Okay, good. Interesting. Who makes this, by the way? What's the... Mr. Loy. Okay, Mr. Loy, who makes this uh, gigantic Oh, that thing? Arlington American fitting. American fitting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, here it says EMT only, 4-inch, wet location. Shows a little UL stamp on it. And you can yeah, they got UL stamp. Detail of this. And that UL is our indicator that UL has listed this product, right? And I have to add, for the small fittings, when you can't put those marks on it, you have to go to the box of 25, and it says it on the box. I see. Hey, okay. here, Lawrence, here's some non-metallic cable for you. It's the white stuff. Okay. 
And the, and the yellow stuff. Well, what's the difference between white and yellow, David? The uh, convention is white is 14-gauge wire. It goes on a 15-amp branch circuit. And yellow is 12-gauge wire. It goes on a 20-amp circuit. They, uh, the manufacturers made it very easy for inspectors to uh, see that the proper wiring is being used. And this is uh, used in residential wood frame building construction. Not in commercial, typically. Uh, in San Francisco, it's not used in commercial. And, and uh, in the national code, it's restricted to uh, type 5 uh, and wood type frame. 3 uh, wooden construction. This gauge up to 15 amp is used typically for your typical plug loads and general receptacle and lighting circuits and residences okay. is where uh, the 14 gauge wire is used and this uh, wire is used for uh, the laundry uh, and, kitchen, and the, and the kitchen, kitchen circuits and uh, other slightly larger draw can circuits. We, uh, is there a piece sticking out here we can see you. is it well, noticeably bigger than the uh, no it is not not, not noticeably, noticeably bigger. bigger okay and it has it has actually multiple conductors in it. It's got three conductors. Three conductors. It's got a white conductor that's called the neutral. It's got a black conductor that's called the uh, ungrounded wire or hot wire. And it's got a, uh, a bare uh, conductor that's called the ground wire. And it must take a lot of that wire in a house, huh? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Okay, here we have another wiring method. Uh, it's called electrical metallic tubing. It's a tubing that the wire is pulled in after uh, after the installation of the tubing and versus the cable that I showed you before. Okay, so this is electrical metallic tubing. People call it EMT, EMT. right? This is a half-inch EMT. Right. So you would put this in first and then pull the wire in later. That's correct. It doesn't come pre-wired, That's basically. correct. And this is uh, uh, used in uh, commercial applications and for fire alarm systems. Uh-huh, but not typically in residential uh, uses. It's not usually used in residential construction, uh, wood frame construction. I see. Look at this. This is unbelievable. Look at all the equipment you have. Mr. Lloyd, how can you put, have so much inventory? This must cost a fortune to stock all this inventory. Well, so uh, because, you know, I'm doing the contractor before, we know what they can use, what they ah, cannot use. Okay. So we know, you know, all the equipment here, a lot of contractors, they need it. Okay. But they need it in I hand understand. right away. That's so a brilliant. That's okay, so somebody who's come out of the industry as a contractor doesn't stock equipment that nobody's ever going to buy. He's stocking stuff people are going to come and buy. He knows exactly what they need to use. And that's a very, yeah, very smart business before. strategy. Yeah. Excellent idea. Yeah. Now, you've got some metal tubing, metal uh, conduit. What is that? Well, it's not. It's it's a cable. It's metal-clad cable, and it's the... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a product that's used, our MC cable, MC cable. metal-clad cable, MC cable, and it's what's used in commercial work. It's a, a tougher product uh, than the uh, non-metallic cable. You Let's have open a, it up and see what we got here. Uh, How many conductors do we have? In this particular one, there are four. Okay, what are, show us what these conductors are, because these All are right. standard colors of different kinds of conductors. Tell us what they uh, are. Uh, all right, once again, we start with the white conductor, which is the grounded conductor or the neutral. The two uh, hot wires are ungrounded conductors, the ones that will give you a shock. And the green wire is the equipment grounding conductor. It does not normally carry electricity. It's the safety conductor. Okay, so the ground wire, or That's whatever it. you want to call it, is always green. 
Is yes. that right? It, 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 That's right. And green may only be used for the gro equipment grounding conductor right. and for no other color, as white may only be used for the neutral or grounded conductor, and other colors may be used, the other, colors other than white or green may be used for the ungrounded or And those wires. typically are black and red when you start, and then if you have more conductors, you use other colors, but typically you would use yeah. a red or a black. Well, in the residences, it's black and, and black and red. Right. Um, in uh, commercial uh, work where you have uh, 12208, it's black, red, blue. Right. You can add it. Add, add more. And uh, if you go to the uh, downtown and it's 480 volts, it's brown, orange, yellow. Boy, B-O-Y, brown, orange, yellow. And one of the people who's with us today just asked the question, is there any reason why you can't wire the entire house uh, with a heavier gauge wire rather than just the lighter gauge for the 15 amp circuits and the heavier gauge for 20 amp circuits? Let's ask Mr. Lloyd. Mr. Lloyd, come on up here. and. Is, is there any reason why you can't wire it all with a heavier gauge wire? Yes, uh, because you know the white romance is the 15 m, right, and the yellow romance is 20 m. But some people asking if they can use all yellow, right. So I think it's you fine know, because okay. you know that the national code that you can use. You can do it, so you can overdo it. You just can't over. underdo it. Yeah. Right. You're allowed to because go beyond you, the minimum. You, some people want to save money, but do a right code. Mm -hmm. They can use 14 2 White Romance for 15 m and the limit for right, the watts and the amp. Um, and that raises an interesting point about the codes. The codes are actually a minimum standard. They're not a maximum standard. You can build many things way beyond the code. You can make things much better, but the code tells you what the lowest level is that it was acceptable for health and safety. Yeah. Right. That too. Good. Well, what we have here is the uh, wire that you pull in the conduit. Black. Grab some more of that stuff. And white. So at, at the very minimum for a circuit, you'd pull these two wires in a piece of VMT or any or, or any conduit. Okay. And of course, back here, here's a for the 480 volts. Right. Orange. Boy. Right. And then we probably have some green here to ground this stuff someplace oh, or well, another. Hopefully we do. Yeah. 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 Oh, there it is. Oh, there it is. My goodness, show me that green. I want to see the green. Ah, there we go. This is our this is our ground wire. And it's interesting that grounding is so important in buildings. Everything has to be grounded. And interestingly enough, I remember reading years ago about hospitals and medical facilities, dental offices and things. Every single receptacle has to have an independent home run ground. That's correct. That's actually two ground. called a redundant ground. And speaking of which, is that, is that what yeah, you're pull, that, pull that out here, there. This is a hospital-grade uh, hospital MC cable. It's designed with two grounds. And it's uh, made for uh, dental care offices and, uh, and, and, uh, and hospitals and patient care rooms. So extra care goes into uh, okay, some of these high-hazard high areas. Okay, great. Here, this is some heavy stuff. What it is, is the conductor made of in here? Copper. Is it copper? copper. These are all copper? Yeah. Copper is very valuable these days, right? Yeah. It's, uh, and people strip out wire and sell it as copper uh, to, the, to the recycling places, I hear. Oh, uh, that uh, last six months ago, that was still in the, uh, still in the copper, because uh -huh. the copper was raising so high. Uh -huh. So a lot of the, the men outside, they still in copper, and they sell their power. So do people come in and buy wire to replace what they uh, yes, stole? Yes, they buy cut out. You know. Oh, boy. What a terrible thing. Yeah. Okay, here's a general duty safety switch. This is a non-fuse disconnect, right? You can disconnect or connect. Is this what, where would you have a thing like this, well, you, David? Uh, you put it adjacent to a motor. 
uh, so that the... Uh, you can shut the thing down. You can lock it out, too. Lock it out when you turn the thing off. I can't close it. I want to get my fingers in there. There we go. Okay, here's a... There's one with the fuses here's in Here's a it. fuse disconnect. Same thing, but with fuse, fusible, right? I've got my fingers caught in these things too many times. I'm really careful about that. Okay, and the other thing is they have a place where you can lock them out. So as you turn it on or off, you can put a... Uh, put a padlock through here or some other device and when you're working on a uh, electrical system typically you will lock it out you will tag it out so that you know that the thing is turned off and nobody comes along and turns it on so why is it off and they flip it on while you're working you'll tag it out by putting a tag in this That's lock, lock out tag out procedure well Lawrence uh, up till now we've been talking about power wiring 120 volts 240 volts here we are in an area where there's some low voltage uh, wiring used for communications, computers, telephones, low so voltage you say wiring. Low voltage. What do you, so we have two kinds of wiring, right? We have line voltage and low voltage. And low voltage is that right? Wiring, and what yes. are the differences? What's the difference between those two types? Well, the low voltage wiring does not present a shock hazard, and therefore you don't have to put the wires in a conduit or a cable. Uh, th th this is a thermostat wire. Mm -hmm. And it's called class two wire, and as long as you have a, a class two transformer, which is a transformer that does not present a fire or a shock hazard, you're allowed to uh, run this cable uh, either exposed or concealed in building construction without a cable. And here'd be an example uh, of something similar. This would be computer wire, mm -hmm. and in a lot of new houses uh, uh, now that the uh, people are putting the computer wire and telephone wire, as well as this thermostat wire, in the walls and they don't have to uh, use a conduit or cable. Uh, all different colors. Are there standards for which colors you use? Is brown always uh, used for thermostat uh, wire? No, uh, there's no code requirement. I, it's just a manufacturing standard. Uh, they're mm -hmm. all different colors. The only uh, restriction that some jurisdictions, uh, they limit fire alarm cable to, uh, to red. Uh -huh. uh, but now, people have often asked about insulation types. For example, if this runs in a in an area where you're going to blow heat through a plenum or something, you have to have a higher rated uh, insulation to make it fire resistant? Well, the, the general rule is you can't put this kind of cable in a plenum or a place that the air, uh, environmental air is moving through. Mm -hmm. uh, there is an exception in, uh, in houses where you can go perpendicular to a, uh, you know, frame, uh, the space between a wood joist. But in general, you cannot put this stuff in a plenum. But there are different levels of fire resistance. Uh, the standard is it can just be anywhere and uh, concealed mm -hmm. uh, or exposed construction. The next higher standard is uh, R riser rated. It's uh, it doesn't uh, spread flame, and so you can put it in a shaft in a larger building. And the highest level of fire resistance is uh, P for plenum, and what that can go in another space used for environmental air above a ceiling where air is moving, right. but not in a uh, sheet metal yeah. duct. And many buildings have um, drop ceilings and they run air through their drop ceiling. Sometimes it's under floor, and there's often low-voltage wiring and other wiring in those areas, and that has to be plenum-rated cable. That's correct, that. and it's very they, it's required by code to be identified. Every 24 inches, you'll see the designation, and it tells you, if, right. as an inspector, if, if it's appropriately installed. And one of the big issues related to uh, uh, cable and low-voltage wiring is that when a tenant moves out, they have to remove the low voltage wiring 
And sometimes that's a serious problem, isn't it? There's yes. a lot well, of low-voltage wiring. Well, the unused low-voltage wiring. Right, of course. Yes, yeah, yeah, so I think that they put that code in a number of years after there was a large fire in London that caused structural damage to a high-rise building due to the accumulation of combustible materials. Right. So everybody who moves into a new office space is going to pull more low-voltage wiring to run their computers and their phones and all their other service needs. And if you cycle through two or three office tenants, pretty soon you have an enormous amount of... That, that has been a problem in the past, but we're trying to, uh, uh, to address it. Great. One question we were just asked is, if you want to get really clean power for home video, theater, or computer, um, how would you go about doing that? Does it help to have a better armored cable, or how would you go about getting really clean power? That's a very uh, complicated question. There are, there, are, there are a lot of answers to it. Uh, one, a solution would be to have a dedicated circuit, a circuit that comes straight from the panel board that only supplies uh, the receptacles that you're going to be using for the, uh, for the computer or sensitive equipment is the probably as uh, one answer you want to make sure that you install that uh, circuit the wires uh, remote from any uh, radio frequency devices or other circuits that might uh, impose a radio frequency on them so what kind of wires would impose a radio frequency it could be a computer another computer it could be a it could be the uh, microwave oven. So you just want to separate it from any other. I uh, ideally, wire now if you're uh, running your wires in a, a ferrous metal raceway, uh, or or an armored cable that uses uh, ferrous metal as a, that protects those conductors against the uh, against these uh, radio frequencies much better than if you were using non-metallic cables. So that would be another strategy, and a, uh, and, a, and a and then if you're let's say in a in a commercial installation where the do where that's really really important, you put in isolation transformers adjacent to the equipment. That's the most expensive uh, solution, but the the best solution is to actually put an isolation device right at your equipment. Uh, they also have uh, filters that you can buy, but that's a you know commercial grade installation. Residentially, a dedicated circuit. Try and separate it from uh, from other wiring to the extent possible. Do you have anything you might want to add to that, Mr. Loy? Yeah, the, the clean, they call it the clean circuit. So you better, you know, a lot of people, they use the MC cable mm -hmm. or like 12.3, 12.2. So separate the whole thing, the circuit for separate. individual, for right. the machine like the computer or the microwave. So that's exactly So if you can do. possibly do it, it sounds like putting in some metal, metal uh, yeah. conduit clad cable or something that will yeah. really reduce the uh, yeah. interference. Read for me what all these little things mean here. Let's tip it up a little bit. Okay. okay. Priority AWG 6-3 type SOOW 600 volt sunlight and water resistant. Which this is, this means is, what? To it us? means it's a cord. It's rather a cord. Than, like, rather than a cable, as distinguished from a cable or a, or a wire, the cord is not to be used for permanent wiring. This is a, a cord that's designed for a temporary power. It's a big cord. Uh, it, it is. It's a 6.3 is 50 amps. Okay, yeah, so go amps. through. So what, is, what do they mean when they say priority? Any idea? I don't know what priority. Proprietary. No, 
Priority. Priority. Okay, I don't know what it means. American wire gauge. Okay. The six is the size of the wire. The dash three is there's three conductors. Uh -huh. The type SOOW, that's a, a extra hard use cord. The W stands for wet. 600 volts is the volt it's good for. And you can run it in the sun and you can run it underwater. Sunlight and water resistant. And it's 90 degrees centigrade rated, meaning it can run as uh, high as about 180 degrees without deterioration. So this can get really hot. And what would you what would you use this uh, cord for? Temporary power uh, for uh, uh, for construction. I see. Okay. Oh, good. And or, or you might use it, for example, on a pier when you need a flexible wiring method to get from the shore to the pier. So you are allowed to use cord wiring where flexible construction is required. Oh, Flexibility is required. Even though it's permanent, it would be permanent it's cord a, wiring. It's an exception to the general rule right. that okay. under certain conditions you can use cord and where flexibility is required, that's one example. Okay. And that, of course, is a completely uh, different category from all these wires and cables that we see on these okay. so racks over here. So let's look at here. some of these wires and cables. This is armored. This is an armored cable that has a single uh, conductor in it, and it's used for grounding. Okay. Both okay, of those are the same. We can see the copper, like, without the peeling end. it back. Right. You can see the copper ground. And you can also uh, sometimes you can use bare wire. Okay. Now this is bare wire, but it's not solid. It's bare stranded wire. It's bare stranded. So we get wire that's that's stranded, and sometimes it's solid. Here's an example of solid. So that these wires can be are used for the same purpose. They're probably the same size. Some uh, installers prefer to use solid. It's required by code in swimming pools. But this is an easier, uh, when it's stranded, it's easier to use. This is probably the cable of choice for a concrete encased electrode. This would be the classic wire, a number four, to be uh, encased in concrete at the bottom of a footing mm -hmm. uh, to get a good ground. Oh, look at some of these things here. Here's another cable. This is non-metallic cable. Uh, it's got four conductors in it. Just like the other cable, only it's a larger size. This is for a 100-amp uh, feeder. It's got a, a white, a black, and a red of number four and probably a number eight ground wire mm -hmm. in it. Non-metallic cable. So this is the big stuff now. That would be for a feeder to a panel board. Uh, versus, how about this one here? <laughs> <It's pulling out. laughs> so this is a single uh, conductor. Mackerel. Three aught. This is a, a wire would go in a conduit uh, for a commercial installation. It would supply a 200 amp panel board. How big does it have to be to supply a 400 amp panel board? Two sets. Two sets, huh? Or you could well. use, or you could, or you could use something called 500 kc mill, which is a conductor about twice as big as this. Much harder It'd be to hard pull to in. work with. Yeah. yeah. So you have a choice as an installer. You could get two sets of these or one set of 500s. So, Mr. Loy, when somebody orders uh, this grounding electrode, how much do they, uh, conductor, how much do they usually order? Okay, uh, uh, by national code, we need a 20 feet on the ground. 20 feet has to be buried in the Buried in the ground. Okay. Yeah, to be three inches above, uh, like the rebar. I see. So, we have to need 20 feet. So, whatever we need longer, mm -hmm. we can cut extra. So 20 feet plus whatever it takes to get up to where they're going to 30, 40, whatever they want to. Okay. Well, yeah, why right. cut us off a little Is bit? Is that right, Mr. David? That's that. exactly okay. right.
David, let's talk about energy efficiency. I know fluorescent lights and bulbs are a big issue right now. Uh, people are changing out old-style fluorescent bulbs. What are, what's the old one, what's the new one, and what's the uh, savings that we should be looking for? Right. Well, this, the standard of the industry uh, were T12s. This is a four-foot uh, lamp. The 12 stands for 12 eighths. It's three-quarters of an inch in diameter. And it's actually about four or five times more efficient than a typical... Uh, incandescent light bulb. However, uh, in the effort to increase energy efficiency, they've designed an even more efficient uh, a standard. Well, this is a short, a two-footer. It's called uh, the T8. Eight, eight, it's uh, half an inch in diameter. Mm -hmm. And these are uh, bi-pin uh, fluorescent fixtures. And I think these are uh, maybe 10, 15 percent more efficient than the older T12s. So they're, uh, all the uh, fixtures that are bought commercially now uh, have these T8s, at least the uh, the, the tube light type. And I understand they're going to stop making uh, T12 bulbs one I, of these days. I believe it is uh, scheduled for for extinction. And it's <laughs> along the same lines, the uh, city of San Francisco is considering an ordinance to require the conversion from the old you know, T12 to T8 or higher efficiency uh, uh, fixtures. There have bulbs. been discussions along yeah. those lines. Most of the uh, larger uh, uh, owners have voluntarily uh, gone to energy efficiency retrofits because there has been a very good payback on it. Uh, the only uh, commercial buildings that haven't done that are, are the smaller buildings where there's you know not, not as much money involved. Right, right, right. So what other energy efficient uh, lighting do we see these days? Uh, well, in, uh, in both commercial and residential applications, you're seeing a trend towards uh, what they call uh, the, you know, uh, compact fluorescent bulbs where instead of the conventional uh, Edison-based socket... You What's the Edison-based? The screw-type screw socket? It's the standard screw-in socket that right. everybody uses. Thank uh, heavens. And Thomas Alva Edison. Right. So uh, now you're, you're seeing fixtures that have uh, four-pin compact fluorescent bulbs. These are even more efficient. Well, they're approximately as efficient as a T8. And uh, so they get about five times as much uh, energy efficiency as a conventional light bulb. But this goes into a, a special socket. You have to buy the fixture that right. has that socket. And the new California Energy Code is the country's most stringent energy code. And it says that in many cases you must install energy efficient lighting fixtures in both new construction and when you're replacing fixtures. And you have to install uh, lighting fixtures that take these four pins, in some cases, especially in kitchens, for example, um, and they cannot be replaced with the screw-type sockets. This will only take this kind of bulb. You'd have to replace the whole fixture to be able to go back to a screw-type screw base. That's right. At this time, for new construction, there's a prohibition against using Edison-based fixtures. Mm -hmm. 
a restriction, not a prohibition. There are exceptions. The rule of, for residential kitchens is, is that more than 50% of the wattage has to be energy efficient. Mm -hmm. And uh, throughout the rest of the house, it's pretty much if you either have to use energy efficient dimmers or you have to use fluorescent, fluorescent light bulbs. So you can design with incandescent lights, although I anticipate that in future energy codes that exception will go away. Right, and there are lots and lots of other requirements in the California Energy Code that relate to electrical uh, installation. For example, you can no longer put electrical resistance heat in residential buildings it's unless you have put in a gigantic solar system or something that uh, you know shows a reasonable trade-off. Simply can't be done. And so when people used to put in an electric baseboard heater and plug it in and, and turn it on, or even wire it, hardwire, you can't do that anymore. It's just not allowed. Under basically, it's not allowed to use electric resistance heating. That's right. Here's an, another example of an energy efficient light bulb. It takes 55 watts, and it lasts 10,000 hours, and it, it puts out uh, much more light than a than a uh, conventional 55 watt light bulb would. Here's an energy efficient high pressure sodium wall security light. If you were to put in exterior lighting, there's all sorts of uh, restriction on exterior lighting, both how many watts you're allowed to have and how, what the efficacy is, how many lumens per watt. Um, shut off so that you don't light the sky. There's a whole dark sky provision. Um, there are uh, motion sensor requirements or timer requirements, lots and lots of requirements. A lot of times people have been calling me saying, Pete, there's too much light in the city. People are putting up security lights everywhere. Those are highly regulated now, and they, you can't just light everything up anymore. Is that right? Well, you have that. Uh, you can't shine the lights up into the uh, up into the sky, and the lights are uh, required to be energy efficient by uh, by code. I think if you use a, uh, a daylight sensors and a motion sensor combination, you are allowed to use a conventional light with a combination of a daylight sensor, light sensor, and motion sensor. This, however, is an energy efficient, a very energy efficient light. It, it takes 70 watts, but it probably puts out the equivalent of five times the light mm -hmm. that an incandescent light bulb would. And they last for a long time. This is 24,000 hour replacing a 2,000 hour bulb. Right. That's what I. That's, that's more what like you said. That's ten times. Like ten times. Ten, ten times as long. Right. Okay. Good. We were going to go and look at uh, boxes and devices. Right. And rings. Right out around the corner. We're going to we're going to walk over to the devices. Devices. On the way uh, over to this location, uh, after talking about energy efficient uh, light bulbs, I noticed uh, the display for uh, halogen bulbs. There are a lot of uh, halogen uh, lights, and this is a typical halogen 20 watt bulb. Very popular in kitchens and very popular for display. Uh, the problem with them is they're very inefficient. They create a lot of heat for the light, and uh, they are not allowed to be used by the energy code except in displays. It, but even so, though, even though uh, customers like them, they're really mm -hmm. not desirable from the terms of the energy code. And you know, there, a lot of stuff is sold in stores that either doesn't meet the code or is not efficient or is really not in your best interest. But they sell it. I mean, Mr. Loy is very good about that. But you know, you go to the big, big box uh, hardware stores, and and you can buy a lot of stuff that is 
that is simply not energy efficient or not used, not green, or not even allowed under the code, but they continue to sell it and, and people buy it. So we don't regulate that. We can't regulate it. We can only regulate things that people put in their homes, and usually only when they get a permit, because then we go and do an inspection. A lot of stuff is done without inspection. Somebody replacing a bulb, no permits required. Um, okay. So very well might not be efficient. Uh, and uh, while we're on the subject of lights, uh, LED lights are coming in, and uh, uh, they are much more efficient than uh, fluorescent lights. The majority of them have not been certified by the California Energy Commission. But there are products coming into the marketplace now that are certified as being energy efficient, and I anticipate uh, that to, to turn from a trickle into a flood right. in the near future. Sure. So LEDs are something to look for. Now here we have uh, two aisles of sort of the stuff that you finish your work with. On one side here we have... Um, the boxes and so on, and then we have the trim. So let's look at a few boxes. David, grab a couple of these boxes out of here. All right, I've got a, uh, here we go. Uh, these are just uh, three examples. Uh, this, uh, this is an example when you're using a metal wiring methods conduit or MC cable on commercial. This is a four square. It's actually a device box so that you can put the uh, receptacle or the uh, switch right in it, but more conventionally, the box is shaped a little bit differently. It's set back, and you place a ring on it. So this, this would be a ring for two layers of sheetrock on a commercial job. So this is a box and a ring. And here's another example of a small uh, box called a device box, intended for one device, one switch, or one plug. They're very limited in use, but they, there are applications for and them. And they have these little knockouts where you pop it out, and you can connect your conduit, EMT, or whatever or connector to it, or cable. And, of course, the non-metallic boxes are used with non-metallic cable. This is used in residential wood frame construction. Tap, 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 Bang tap. them in with a hammer, bang a hole in the top, and you uh, shove your Romex and, or non-metallic cable into the box. Very fast to install. It's all ready to go. The, the, you can hold it right in position, and in a couple of taps, the whole thing is done. Right? That's it. Yeah. So, okay, great. Those and, are the boxes. And he sells... Hundreds of types of sizes and shapes, and uh, six gang, ten gang, one at a time, all to hold anything. Uh, just hundreds and hundreds of catalogs are thick with them, and he stocks many of them, and you can get special order. Mm -hmm. We were talking to Mr. Loy a little bit, and he said he has over 22,000 items in his store, separate uh, inventory items. Wow. And then on this side, we have uh, all sorts of trim. Oh, here's a look at this. Look at this gigantic trim plate. So, <laughs> so within the boxes Two, four, you just showed us, <laughs> you would put one of these little devices, and then, okay, oh, good. There's an Excellent. example of a switch that would go in here, uh -huh. and of course... Uh, or a plug, here's a plug. This is a single-gang switch. switch, and here's a, a, a six-gang device, right. a, a trim cover. And uh, come in different colors and shapes and sizes, and white right. and beige and taupe and so gray. Here, here we have the... Uh, the the, what I call um, specific—I wouldn't call it. These are the inexpensive standard uh, switch and receptacle that you can buy. They're the least expensive. They're the code minimum. If you're putting a receptacle or a switch in, it's not switching a heavy load or not getting heavy use. It's it's quite appropriate. If you're going to be switching a heavy load or, or use, uh, expect to use 
the receptacle over and over and the switch over and over, you're better off buying a more expensive uh, uh, receptacles. And these are what they call, I think they're called the decor line, where they, you know, they, they have the square look. But actually, as far as the back goes, they're, they're the same quality as, as the, the switches have about the same quality. Mm -hmm. And so there's this little green, what's this little green guy here for? Well, this is a, uh, this is the, a ground terminal. The code requires every device, whether it be a receptacle or a switch, to be grounded. And you, so they have a little ground terminal that you have to co uh, connect your ground wire to. Mm -hmm. And so every switch and every receptacle has this It's always identified lug. green. Mm -hmm. And the, the neutral is uh, silver. Uh, this would be, a, uh, you know, the white wire goes on the silver terminals. And the uh, ungrounded conductor, black or red, goes on the gold terminals. And the ground wire goes on the green terminal. Great. Uh -huh. Oh. So we were talking about the inexpensive versus the expensive. This is about the highest grade. It's called hospital grade. It's got a green dot on it. And there's, uh, it's extremely sturdily built for uh, multiple uses. And in the, uh, in the product standard, I believe, the, uh, the ground wire always uh, makes first and breaks last provide an additional level of safety. How much does one of these uh, hospital grade uh, receptacles cost? Uh, the hospital grade, they cost you like uh, 930. How much? Uh, $9.30. $9.30. And this one here, like, uh, 50 cents for the regular one. 50 cents yes. versus $9 yes. plus. That's a big difference. So, yeah, uh, huge difference. You told us before you have something like 22,000 separate inventory items in this warehouse. Yeah. Boy, that must be hard to keep track of. How do you how do you manage your inventory? Oh, uh, we try to put it inside the computer. Uh huh. We and try. Then, uh, yeah, as much as we can go, <laughs> and you know, keep my mind clear so I try to remember it. <laughs> but more than twenty-two thousand items, but still not enough. So, not enough. Uh, People ask for stuff you don't have. Yeah, yeah, a lot of items. Yeah. We have a question that if you are replacing an older uh, uh, switch or a receptacle, and the wiring is not color-coded, how do you know which is the hot wire, which is the neutral, or does it even matter? For a switch, uh, you have the, uh, the hot wire and you have the switch leg. And if you, uh, for a single-pole switch, it doesn't matter. But uh, if, if you're talking about a receptacle, it's extremely important to uh, identify the conductors between hot, neutral, and equipment grounding conductor and terminate them on the uh, proper receptacle. And it is a, uh, extremely common for our inspectors uh, to find uh, a reverse polarity and ungrounded uh, receptacles, receptacles with open ground. It's a surprisingly uh, common occurrence in our, in our daily inspection uh, uh, procedure. And you, uh, if the conductors aren't identified, you, you, you need to be trained. To, you need to test it and, you, and, it, and it's not easy to determine sometimes. And we have special procedures in San Francisco for issuing electrical permits to homeowners. We don't do that e readily. You have to actually come in and discuss it and make sure that we have to make sure that we believe that you know what you're doing because there's so many hazards involved in messing with your home electrical system. And typically people hire a licensed electrician to, to do even simple stuff, replacing uh, receptacles and so on.
I'm here with Greg Pearl, well, manufacturer's rep for a number of different uh, electrical supplies. And I wanted to ask a question about what is new in energy-saving fixtures and devices. I know that's the biggest thing in California right now is energy savings. Certainly right now, uh, California requirements, Title 24, we have re the energy reduction programs. A lot of that started out with compact fluorescent. Uh, you'll see cans like this, um, household residential use, and in uh, offices as well. But uh, this particular one takes a 26-watt compact fluorescent lamp. Um, equal to probably close to 100 watts of incandescence, so there's considerable energy savings. And we have some new trims and things like this that cover the lamp so they don't look quite so mm -hmm. industrial. How about the color? Some people say they don't like compact fluorescents because they're such a cold color. So many people are used to office buildings. Cool white. That mm -hmm. was 4,100 degrees Kelvin, which is a temperature reading, actually. The higher the number, the bluer and whiter it is. The lower the number, and they do make lamps all the way down to 2,700 degrees Kelvin, which are quite warm looking. A lot more like the incandescent lamp you'd find in a house somewhere. I see. Yeah, okay, so, good. Uh, you know, certainly 3,000 or 2,700 degrees in your kitchen looks just great. And uh, we were talking earlier about metering separately for different residential units and this I understand allows people to do separate sub-metering for commercial spaces. Yes, right? we do have an opportunity for people to, uh, you know, a lot of times if the electricity is just built into your rent, no one ever seems to care whether they're turning things on or off and saving energy. Uh, certainly when you make them responsible for their own energy use, then they uh, decide that it's maybe a good idea to turn a light off every now and so again. So how does this work? Um, these meters are installed and we have what they call a split core current sensor and it wraps around the circuit you're trying to measure, either single phase or three phase. And the meter is, meets all federal accuracy, ANSI standards. And every month you get an idea of just how and much has energy. It has a digital readout. Mm -hmm. uh, they can also be tied into a software program that you, know, you can read the meters remotely. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, certainly that's a plus for people with lots of units. Uh, Electric submetering. Now, for a long time, uh, the state didn't allow submetering. Uh, yeah, technically, after that. 1978, uh, it said the utility was the only person who could charge for an electrical bill. And as of uh, last year, they've amended that for commercial tenants, uh, where landlords and tenants agree, uh, especially if there's a master meter and there's only one meter on the property, now we can meter those right. individual tenants and let the guy that, you know, use the appropriate amount of payment to equal what he's using every month. Yeah. Right. It's a, that's a, a fairness a, That will ultimately be a major energy saver, Certainly. I believe. I believe. Uh, also, these meters with a pulsed output from a water meter or a gas meter can also read other utilities, and as you know, water is going to become the mm -hmm. next frontier in right. <laughs> conservation right. efforts. And speaking of conservation, this is a really interesting item. This is a, basically it's a commercial or industrial light. Yeah, that's and, what we call uh, a, a canopy fixture for a parking garage. Mm -hmm. And um, this lamp is a little different from normal lamps you see. Uh, like a fluorescent, there's phosphors in here that glow, but not because electrical current is running through it, because a radio transmission is coming through it. It's mm -hmm. actually generating a, a small uh, an induction lamp. Yeah, and this is called induction. The, there's a slight energy savings, but the big savings comes in the replacement of the lamp. That lamp is rated 100,000 hours. Okay, so this lamp is rated 100,000 hours. This is an important, important lesson. Energy efficiency and green buildings are not just how efficient is this particular element, but rather how durable is it and how long it will last. And this is something that will last so long that even though 
It is not terribly energy efficient, and it hopefully it will become more energy more efficient. Slightly more energy efficient. The fact that you don't have to cycle through bulbs and send them to the landfill and so on makes the durability of this a, a very high green building feature. Yeah. I and just we, hope that we can get toward more energy efficiency as we develop this technology. Well, in this day and age, people are also concerned with the cost of ownership. You know, what is the life cycle cost of a light fixture over the next 10 years mm -hmm. versus just the next right. two years? Sure. Um, certainly, we started with simple solutions like LED exit signs. Uh, they used to be either fluorescent or incandescent lamps. Now they're LED, some of them under 4 watts, very, very energy efficient, and again, very long lamp life. Um, and then, um, of course, we don't have these fixtures quite here yet, but we're starting to do commercial fixtures with LED right. um, arrays in them. Uh, very expensive at this point, but again, over the cost of the life of that fixture, it does uh, pencil out pretty good. Great. Well, thank you very much. Great. I appreciate, appreciate the time. And Jill is a manufacturer's rep covering mm -hmm. lots of other equipment here, including this interesting thing that says push right here. So I'll push that. And this looks like a receptacle that fits on a countertop in a yes, kitchen it is. or something. Yeah. Zip design is designed for a kitchen. This is like a yeah. piece of This is a kitchen. piece of uh, granite. Great. And it comes in either black or stainless steel for kitchens. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. And there are lots and lots of regulations about receptacles in counters and so on. I'm sure yes, it there meets are. them all. It does. Absolutely. Great. Yes. Well, I wanted to ask you about energy efficiency, and I mm -hmm. see you have a few products here mm -hmm. which I believe are uh, energy efficient. And yes. this particular recess can mm -hmm. um, looks like it is the one that holds that four-pin uh, bulb that we were looking at earlier in this, uh, in yes. this show. And you can't put a you can't put a, uh, a Edison-based screw bulb in here, right? No. Mm -hmm. Can you can you take this out and change it to put one in, or is it pretty uh, well? That's pretty much it, huh? That's pretty much it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. this assures that it's energy efficient for the life of the fixture, mm -hmm. and you can't easily replace the fixture. Right. What about this one? What's this? Um, this is actually um, a four-inch. Pick this up here. This is also meets um, California Title Twenty Four. And the reason we're showing this one today is this is one that is a shallow. So it'll fit your standard 2 by 6 configuration um, like in a residence. Uh -huh. And it looks like a really big box because it has to be bigger, you know, for the heat dissipation. And it is double walled and it is rated for up to 50 watts, which okay. most everything else on the market is only rated for 35. Okay. And this, and this fits right between 16 inch... Mm -hmm. uh, Joyce? Yes. Okay, excellent. Yeah. And it takes a high efficiency bulb. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Jill. No, Appreciate thank you. That. I want to thank you all for joining us here today at ENE Electric, and I also want to especially thank Mr. and Mrs. Loy. Thanks a lot. That was terrific. Very interesting. What a shop you have. Unbelievable. So much stuff. And David, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Excellent. And hope you join us again on Thursday with Building San Francisco.